Hey folks, before we get to today's show featuring myself and Mr. Ryan Bailey, I wanted to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add it to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you very much to Remarkably Remote for sponsoring today's episode. Now on with the show. Welcome to another edition of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me to talk about actual live soccer, it's Mr. Ryan Bailey. Ryan, it's been so long. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful, Taylor. Thank you for having me back, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about some actual real-life soccer. But before we get there, I've got some bad news. Uh I've been having a bit of a battle Uh um, in my home with a chipmunk. I I saw you tweet about this. So is it in the garage, or has it moved to the kitchen? Has it taken over entirely? I'm in my garage right now. Oh no! Uh, which is where my studio is. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't. I do. It's my, my car hold doesn't have cars in it. It, it has a, a studio in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went in here yesterday to sh- uh, to shoot something, and I hear a little rustling, and then I uh-huh. see oh, little chippy, little chippy running around there. Uh-huh. Uh, couldn't get him out. I, had, I, I did what I had to do, and he was still there, just sitting there looking at me. I had the door open; he wouldn't leave. And I don't know if he's in here still. And I looked out this morning at my window, and there was a chipmunk on the patio. Mm-hmm. So either he's out and he's still taunting me and trying to get back in, or he's summoning his friends. I mean, that feels likely. Maybe you're under surveillance, chipmunk surveillance. I do appreciate that you, your efforts to get rid of the chipmunk appear to be open the door and then cross fingers. Oh, well, like sort of throw tennis balls vaguely near it. Not at it, near uh-huh. it, so that it would move. Uh, that was one. I also went, Alvin! I was going to ask this. This is the next question. At, at that point either. Yeah. <laughs> Which one are we talking? Are we talking an Alvin, a Simon, or a Theodore? If I you couldn't see what color shirt he was wearing. Right. I didn't get a close <laughs> enough look. I do appreciate that you lay out the, the custom tiny chipmunk t-shirts for any chipmunks that do happen to be in your studio. That's a good look. And they are uh, Charlotte branded, right? I had it coming really when you think about it. <laughs> they were, are they Charlotte branded, though? Are you, are you like that on brand that you already gave them Charlotte MLS swag to wear? Of course. That's what I like to hear. Um, Well, maybe the chipmunk has made its farewell. See what I did there. Uh, But uh, we are going to be talking today about some players who definitely made their farewells. We did best debuts, you and I did, uh, last week, I believe. Mm -hmm. So this week we're going to be looking at some of the best farewells uh, in uh, club career or international career uh, history. We're going to talk a little bit about what farewell exactly means, because I think it's kind of a sliding scale. But first, as I said in the intro, we've got actual soccer to talk about. Daryl and I uh, broke down some of the games on Saturday. There were games Sunday. There was a game yesterday that did not go well for Werder Bremen. Ryan, uh, I know you've got some stuff from the weekend, but let's start with Werder Bremen for a moment, a game that uh, some people may have seen, I'm guessing more than usual would have seen, since, you know, we're all at home and have nothing to do. Uh, but it was Werder Bremen with Josh Sargent getting some minutes, getting pretty pretty beaten up. And that's where I want to start because I know we try to avoid hot takes on this show to some extent. We don't always do the hot takey thing, but we I do have a hot take for you on this one. You ready? Go on. I don't think Werder Bremen are going to win the Bundesliga this season. Whoa! I know, right? Coming it's, in it's with a big the fire one. straight off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gosh. think... Uh, yeah, the the four to one loss, a fairly comprehensive loss. Ryan, what did you make of this one? 
Much like a teenage boy, Tay-Tay, clean sheets are not something we will associate with this team. Um, they were not good at defending in this game, were they? I think that's the very least we can say about uh, Werder Bremen in this game, uh, particularly at set pieces. Um, this, this is interesting. Following UK soccer, UK football Twitter, if you will, mm-hmm. Kai Havertz, um, there was lots of these, even like Paddy Power and accounts like this saying, oh, look, here's proof that Kai Havertz isn't something that was made up in Football Manager or something. It's interesting to it opens up how the Bundesliga. A lot of people don't actually watch it, yeah. Even in Europe, which is interesting. And uh, but he he obviously had a rather good game, but it wasn't made very hard for him, was it? Let's be honest, <laughs> playing up top, it it was not. And especially the fourth goal uh, that Leverkusen score. It's uh, I watched this sequence. I watched it back several times, and it's like a good five minutes of sustained Leverkusen possession and. It is partially informed by there not being any fans in the stadium, but it absolutely looks like a preseason game or like one of those midseason they've gone to Dubai for the winter break and they're just kind of having a kick around because it is Verde Bremen sort of sitting in a shape that is not very mobile and does seem to be as though they think it's still one to one when in actuality in the moment it's three to one. But Leverkusen just pass around them like they are pretty much cones and don't really have any sort of issue and are able to consistently find space culminating in, I think it's Demir Bay, just wide open in the 18 and like is able to turn and just pass it home. And I think does they kind of look around like, I'm definitely not offside, right? Did they think I was offside? And (laughs) I... I cannot imagine that that bodes well for Werder Bremen, who we should note are in the relegation zone. It's not as though they're like near it and might have some trouble. They are 17th out of 18th, one point ahead of bottom of the table, Paderborn. Yeah, but they were hoping the season was cancelled. But hey, <laughs> there we go. Thanks to Germany and their irrepressible testing system. Let's not get into that. But uh, yeah, that was that was a good goal, actually. A good finish, a nice cheeky chip finish mm-hmm. and a very nice cutting ball from Bellarabi as well. But I would I would characterize the Bremen defending not just as bad, but lazy. Yeah, I it's, think that's, it's I felt, think that's fair. I, I mean, like, like the first the first goal that the, the cross comes in from D, it's DRB, I think from the right and Havertz gets that header on it. I free, if you freeze frame it at that point, there are six green shirts in the box. None of them are near Havertz. Mm-hmm. There's another three unmarked players in the box. No one's marking anyone. It's it's absolutely is that ridiculous. Is that a, is that is that now what you want? I don't think it's great. And then for the for the two one goal, which I think was Havertz again. Uh, that was sort of the free kick that came in, wasn't it? Um, Havertz sort of starts his run on the edge of the D. No one near him. Mm. No one even thinks about tracking him. And there's once again an abundance of green shirts in front of him. It just it felt like. It felt like rec league to me. It felt like a, a, a good rec league team taking on a very bad one and. And heads went heads went down to use more cliches, but yeah, not, yeah. not great. It had it had uh, a lot of f- familiarity, similarity to the Eintracht Frankfurt game from Sunday, in which mm. Frankfurt basically get like torn open uh, fairly early and then never really really respond. Decent chance that Frankfurt and Werder Bremen are able to kind of turn around at least a little bit uh, as the season concludes and runs out, uh, but. I would agree with you that the kind of static nature of the defending, the kind of visible frustration from some of the Bremen players, even when Josh Sargent comes on like fairly late into the second half in like the 71st or something minute, I think, like he's running around, but even he'll go to close somebody down. The ball gets dropped to the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper plays it to the other center back, and you'll see him turn and sort of look around. And then it's like a jog walk, and it's not the like him being lazy necessarily, but it does just seem like, oh, well, nobody went with me. All right, I guess I'll drop back. And there just seemed to be a lot of kind of disjointed defending, a lot of disjointed positioning from Werder Bremen, mm. and I don't 
know how they uh, like correct that, deal with it fast enough to be able to stop this skid and get themselves into a situation where they're not in the relegation zone, currently five points behind Fortuna Dusseldorf. I think Werder Bremen, as I said, might not win the Bundesliga, might do the opposite of that, which is, I guess, win the relegation battle or at least come second. Uh, looking good for Leverkusen to, to jump into yeah. the top four, though, right? I think yeah. they look pretty strong. Uh, all things considered, obviously, it's hard It's hard to gauge from this game in where there's very little form to run off of and the opponent were that bad. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe like for a league that like has the 50 plus one rule, at least historically, was all about parity. I think we do see the sort of haves and have nots in this uh, opening weekend or return weekend. Uh, Leipzig do draw. Uh, they are currently fourth, uh, as, you, as you said, one point ahead of Bayer Leverkusen. Mm-hmm. But I, I think everything we saw there, maybe just a little bit more sharpness. They're a little bit more clinical in front of goal. I think Leipzig will be fine. And then we had Munich, Dortmund, Leverkusen all winning. It does seem like that top half, those top five or so, maybe Wolfsburg in there, uh, but certainly those top five are going to continue to have the success they had before the season was uh, was halted. But everybody else, uh, they got some work to do. Schalke, especially looking in your direction. Mm. German things being predictable and planned. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> I've got a, a few observations of gen- from general, generally speaking, from the weekend. Easy for me to say, if you if you'd allow me to share them, Tay Tay. Please. I thought that the standard of play in general was way higher than I expected. Agreed. I was ready when I sat down to watch that Dortmund game first thing on Saturday morning to say, oh, this is going to be like a preseason game. They're going to, you know, be tired after 60 minutes. And it wasn't really like that. And Dortmund in particular sort of came out swinging, didn't they? They did. To, to, quite, to quite an extent. And I was wondering, and I saw this posted on Twitter, that uh, because this is a league that has a Winterpause, has a pause, has a, has a break in the middle, these players may be more... Uh, easily adaptable to having a break, having time off, because they, they, they're used to staying fit without games. Is there anything in that, do you think? I mean, I agree, except that a lot of the time, as I think I was saying earlier, like, then they go to those, like, they'll go to, say, Saudi Arabia or the UAE or Qatar or whatever, and they do those sort of, mm-hmm. like, winter breaks, but in, like, nice weather, and then they play some friendlies. So I guess they're still only playing friendlies, usually against lower opposition. Um, but I think I think your point still stands, though, that that break, at the very least, you know sort of how to deal with a gap in playing where you can sort of take a break. Maybe you do some training, but it's certainly not as aggressive. I think that makes yeah. sense that then you kind of know how to be professional uh, to the extent that you kind of keep your fitness up, keep your technical ability up, keep your awareness up, and then you maybe hit the ground running a bit more than, say, Werder Bremen. <laughs> yeah, getting used to lower intensity, I think, is uh, uh, is one of one of the key issues. And I th- I thought though, was it just me, or were there sort of less fouls and less stoppages, and certainly less diving in this one? If, if I'm not mistaken, was in the Bayern Union Union Berlin Bayern game, mm-hmm. I thought the first foul was blown up after 11 minutes. Is that it? Which is a long time, right? Yeah. No, I, it's, it's a fair point because like, when you don't have the crowd there, the crowd certainly helps you know if it's the home team and their player's been fouled, they're obviously going to let the, the, the player know, they're going to let the official know, they're going to voice their displeasure. When you don't have that, you don't have that drama. And so I feel like you still get the sort of the, the stuff you get in like amateur soccer. Like you still have some people talking to the referee or kind of expressing their discontent. But even the trainers, like I think like the trainers, it's been a very abbreviated thing. And I don't know if that's like COVID related, but it seems like when they do have physios come on the field, they're kind of at a distance. They're not necessarily like taking as much time as we normally would see. It does feel like we don't get as many stoppages. And to your point about diving. That also feels like a thing we might see less of. I don't know why I feel like that correlates, aside from, I think if you've got 
50,000 fans screaming because their player was knocked over. Maybe the referee could be a little bit more swayed if, if he or she's 50-50, whereas if you don't have all those fans, maybe they're less inclined to give that penalty. Yeah, I think you might be right there. And uh, maybe in the back of the players' minds, there's sort of less inclination to go in for hefty challenges, mm-hmm. something about getting in contact. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, Bremen wasn't the only bad defending we saw in this round of games. I'm thinking of the Pierre Kunders goal in the Cologne Mainz game where he dribbled through five defenders, although I just say pushed the ball forward and the defenders sort of parted like the sea mm-hmm. for him. Uh, so, you know, I, I felt that there was... Some def- uh, some of the defending, if there was a lag in fitness or in... Uh, maybe it's concentration. It was an issue of concentration. Is that fair to say? There was yeah. le- a little less concentration because, and that affects defence a little more because I think we saw a few goals and a few instances where y- there was a little less sharpness. And I don't think that was fitness related. I think that was m- mentality. I've tried to describe this phenomenon with Daryl because I agree with everything you're saying. But like I had this, it stands out to me in high school of like, I remember just, I sort of had decided that there was this day that like, oh, like day's almost over. Like the teachers don't care. It's it's, it's Friday. Like they're not going to make us do anything. And then I think I had like two tests that day or something like that. But I had just sort of decided that because it was Friday, like they weren't going to be taking it very seriously. I don't know where that mentality came from. But <laughs> it felt similar to some of these uh, Buddhistica teams where you could see that sort of like, yes, they didn't necessarily lack the fitness we didn't see the kind of touch straight out of bounds or anything like that but it did i think the other separation that was there was the teams that expect to be competing are trying to get to the champions league are potentially trying to win the title they Mm. seem to be approaching this as like all right competitive soccer is back we are back into it whereas some of the other teams you could see that just a little bit more like this is weird this is like we're not like are we we're taking this day off right aren't we all didn't we all collectively agree that this was like a day that we were going to relax and then you've got your top five sort of still going uh guns blazing and i think maybe that explains to some extent why you had some those bigger teams have the success they did and the more medium to small teams maybe just a bit more like hey come on guys like we're easing back into this there's no need to be ruthless Bayern munich we don't need that yeah, well, maybe that explains why Cologne switched off as well and yeah. gave up their leader. They they were employing the Taylor Rockwell. It's Friday. I'm not going to bother <laughs> doing anything at school. Uh, principle to the. Uh, I mean, they're they're pretty safe and they've it's got tried much and true. to play for. There you go. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up. There's two more things I wanted to bring up. Please. One is that um, I f- I find I have to concentrate more on these games. Yep. Because it revealed to me my habits of second screening, mm-hmm. looking at my phone and going through Twitter and looking at things. Without the audio cues of the crowd, it's harder to look away from the screen in case you miss something because you don't get you you don't know. Um, and you you touched on this in your in your pod with with Daryl at the weekend about how the commentators' rhythms haven't quite adjusted to this new abnormal, mm. and they need to represent that increase in crowd noise and uh, and an attacking play a little better in some instances and that'll come with time i imagine but it just felt to me like oh i've got to i've got to stay our eyes glued on this in case something happens because i don't have that usual oh look up crowd are, crowd are picking up you yep. know what i mean yeah i do and and i thought some more about this and watching the the bremen leverkusen game i think that where i tend to get into trouble and i'm wondering if this is the case for you is that when it's a normal game with a normal amount of fans when there is a foul or a shot goes wide and it's a goal kick or you've got a stoppage in play you still have the crowd noise but i think then when you go to the replay, you've still got the crowd noise, but you have the sort of energy of the moment because like, oh, he ju- that shot just went wide or like, oh, how did that mm. get blocked out for a corner? I want to see this replay, but you still got the crowd noise. You've got the commentators up for it. And I think that's where it loses me is that when they go to those replays now, you don't have the crowd noise. You don't have that energy. So 
let's say to your point, like you happen to look down really quickly, you missed that shot, you might look up and be like, oh, well, I didn't hear anybody make that, like, you know, the noise the crowd makes when it goes just wide, like that makes you look up really fast and then you want to see the replay. And if you don't have that, I think then you sort of look away because you've got the long pauses as play resumes and it does sort of lend itself to getting distracted easily. So yeah, I've had to make myself sort of put my phone away or keep it out of just sort of absent-minded browsing distance, which is the thing that I, I tend to do. So I'm with you that I find myself more easily distracted because I think I don't have those sort of normal touchstones that keep the focus on the game. Yeah, and I will say I got used to the lack of crowd noise after mm-hmm. a while. I got used to it to just focusing on the field and, you know, that, that weird noise of the, the how echoey those stadiums are. They need to lay some blankets in those, in those stands <laughs> or get some Korean um, dolls, you know, to, or that. to put in there to soften the, soften the noise a little bit. But um, the, oh, the one other thing I wanted to talk about, Taylor, is Robert Lewandowski. I switched my TV package to Fubo, which I think has a higher resolution than the one I was previously using. I didn't notice how much his gray hair he's got until now. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he's not fighting it. He's going yeah. gracefully into the gray. He's gone. He's I, gone full Clooney. Is that a COVID can't get my hair cut or dyed situation? Oh, do we think, or is it just? It, it just probably it is. Anyway? It probably is. I didn't think about it like that. Mm. Yeah, I can't imagine Robert Lewandowski going to whatever the the German CVS equivalent is and getting like a, a, a brown in the box sort of dye and try to keep it going. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I like how David Squires in the Guardian this week. Uh, posited the theory that the reason the Bundesliga has come back is to stop Robert Lewandowski doing TikTok and to get him back on the field, which I think is pretty uh, pretty good. Oh, one other thing. I like. I actually quite enjoy, and this is going to be something we're going to hear more of when, we, when and if the Premier League comes back, is hearing player conversations um, and hearing what the players were saying on mm-hmm. the field to one another. I thought it was really fascinating trying to listen out for what they were saying. Uh, there was a lot of, schnell, schnell! Yeah. Faster, go faster. I, I, need, to, of, um, I need to work on my German. I, I, yeah. I feel like there's, there are obscenities and very interesting things being screamed, and I cannot understand what they're saying. Well, I, I like to think my German's not too bad, but also you realize because there's like foreign players and stuff, I can't understand it as well because they've got accents when they're saying things as well. It's, it's kind of different to hear. But uh, I heard a "Mein Gott" a few times when things didn't go well. My God, they were saying and things like that. It was quite. It was. It was uh, amusing to try and pick up on that. It was a new aspect of the game, and uh, there was some, a little bit of swearing as well, which was nice. Was, nice. It, was that all from uh, from Florian Kofeld, the Bremen coach? Because I feel <laughs> like was, he was he was cursing at least a little bit. Yes, there was, he was he was one of the coaches who was uh, doing the swears, which I thought was very enjoyable. And uh, I think I think at one point the commentators were picking up on it and saying we we're not responsible for all that you hear at the moment, even though it's in a yes. foreign language. But excellent. this yeah, this yeah. does mean you'll hear everything. It was definitely a thing that they yeah. uh, they wanted to reinforce. <laughs> I also I do think the face masks though have a have a nice secondary use. Because because aside from being protocol and uh, helping prevent the spread of infection, potentially, it also does r- remove the need to cover your mouth with your hand. If you're a professional footballer, why are you talking? You just put the mask on and people can't read your lips. You're good to go. Uh, yeah, they're ahead of the curve. Once yeah. again, those Germans. Oh, it, man. There, there it is. Uh, well, Ryan, I know you had some thoughts about uh, managerial fashion choices this weekend. Is that fair to say? I did. Are you going to pull? Are you going to pull me apart on this one? Uh, I, I am not. I'm just going to say that, like, I know you, you thought there was some dad dress happening. There was Julian Nagelsmann wearing the white Nike, bright bright red Nike logo on it, uh, t-shirt with the red yeah. Nike shoes. You definitely had a relaxed approach to fashion. But if the managers maybe wanted to go a bit more formal, Ryan, do you have any idea how they could make that happen? Do you see what I'm doing here? 
Oh, Taylor, I certainly do. You know, there is a service they could employ. Oh, please. If they wish to. Uh, if they, I mean, so there's, there's, what my tweet was about was uh, Mainz manager Aki Bielorza, mm-hmm. who has, I realise this is pretty much a standard German uniform, but blue jeans, white sneakers, and like a white shirt, which, as you say, he's not the only manager that does it, but it looks very dad. It looks very cell phone holster. But if they would like a different look, Tay-Tay, I would suggest these managers employ the services of the Black Tux, which has an easy online ordering process. Yeah, they do. your suit or tuxedo straight to you. You can look sharp. You don't have to wear your dad jeans. Get yourself a Black Tux at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit you can and you can sort of still utilize your stylistic preferences so if you do maybe want a little bit of a baggier pant to go for the full dad route if you want to wear like the baggier <laughs> pant with the running shoes then you've gone full dad you could do that with a yeah. suit but you could also get something a little bit slimmer a little bit tighter uh i don't know if they offer boot cut suits but there would probably be some german managers who wouldn't mind that but they <laughs> do have lots of different options that you can kind of peruse then they have an easy sizing guide that makes it uh, very easy to find the right fit then they'll send it to you you can try it on you make sure it fits that way so lots of different procedures set up to make sure you find the exact suit that you need with the right fit so you don't look like a german dad soccer coach yeah and if you're not sure you're sizing what you're looking for as you say they have a way to help you that avoids a tape measure no prison style tape measuring with the black tux they have a find my fit option they have a little option that shows you where you can put your cell phone holster on your black tux i assume as well uh, they use 100 percent merino wool on all their suits 100 percent cotton on their shirts and real leather on their shoes you've got to stay tuned to black tux because they've only just begun day day I, I really hope that they do have that feature of like oh your dad well then this is where the cell phone holster will go uh so if you would like your wedding or special event or just Bundesliga game that you're managing uh, to be remembered for the right reasons as opposed to a 4-1 destruction, you can order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code SOCCER. That's theblacktux.com, code SOCCER for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Thank you I very much. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I, just, I just think we should have more tuxedos on the sidelines, by the way. Have we ever seen that before? I don't think we have, and I think that somebody does need to, to set that trend. I feel like you, you want to go full formal to maybe make a mockery of the, of the dress protocols. Yeah, you wear, wear that full tuxedo, and then uh, you'll, look, you'll look dapper even in defeat. Or at least a tuxedo t-shirt. Come on, go halfway. <laughs> there it is. That's the way to go. Well, the other thing we're going to be talking about, aside from the Bundesliga, is, as I said in the introduction, our favorite farewells. So, again, we did the best debuts, either for club or country, which did lead some people to uh, suggest that we uh, do the logical conclusion to that by talking about our favorite farewells. I found it really difficult to Google this. Only today when I looked and saw that Daryl had... Uh, I think tentatively titled this show in our like advertising document as uh, favorite farewells. I was like, that's the way to do it. Cause I kept looking up like best last game, best retirement game. None of it really worked. Ryan, how easy was it for you to find these games or was a lot of this done from memory? I'm a professional trained journalist, darling. So research is my uh, forte. There we go. Uh, no, but full disclosure, it was very hard to find these things. It ended up just being, I remember that guy had scored a goal in his last game. Uh-huh. It's not just uh, retirement games. You have to look at last games at particular clubs before they mm-hmm. move to a different club as well. So there was a lot of there was a lot of research. I have to say, I had quite a lot of fun doing it. Really? Honest. All right, I'm excited. So then with that in mind, why don't you start us off then? So what are, what are some of your favorite farewells? As you said, it could be retirement games. It could be leaving a club of significance. It could be retiring from the national team. Anything you want, Ryan, where should we begin? 
I'm going to begin with one that we mentioned last week. We mentioned that this player was the king of debuts, Mr. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, mm-hmm. because basically every club he's been at, he's either scored or assisted. Apart from Milan, he had a stinker in his first game for Milan. But apart from that, he's basically went on uh, as he meant went on as he meant to go on. That's not the phrase. He was very good in those games. Um, <laughs> Does that the same? Smooth, Ryan. Smooth broadcasting. Um, so Zlatan also That's what you get something... for beginning this by saying you're a professional journalist. There you go. <laughs> I'm dripping with irony today. Um, Zlatan also has a few good farewells, notably Paris Saint-Germain Taylor. In his final Ligue 1 appearance for PSG, it was against Nantes at the Parc de Prance. That was in uh, May 2016. He scored twice in a 4-0 victory. Not only did he score twice, that made him Paris Saint-Germain's top scorer in a single Ligue 1 season with 38 goals. Uh, it, was the, it also made him uh, the third time that he was top scorer at the club. Not only did he score in that game, Taylor, but a week later in the... Coupe de France final, he also scored uh, in that. Uh, he, uh, I believe he also set up a goal for Cavani in a game in which PSG beat Marseille 4-2. Um, so he scored in his final games for PSG in the league and in the cup. And I will also add, I looked at all of Zlatan's other clubs. He also did something similar for LA Galaxy. Um, went, to the 29, uh, went to the playoffs uh, in 2019, um, but they were eliminated in that game, obviously. Um, but he did score and assist in that game as well. So uh, less impressive than the PSG farewell, but still, guy likes to score. Do you think it was Zlatan, like, do we give him sort of, do we remember these moments and forget the, like, less important ones because it's Zlatan? Because if that's not the case, he does seem to be more than anything a player who kind of rises to the moment that he needs hype and, like, persecution in his mind or criticism or just attention in order to thrive. It seems like that's what kind of brings the best out of him. But I can't tell if that's actually the the truth or if I'm just sort of succumbing to the hype and believing that he's this next-level uh, sort of mind games talent. No, don't you can succumb to the hype. He he's a hundred miles an hour every day, Taylor. He, he doesn't have any lesser moments. I think that's a lot. There, there was this lot long held perception in England that he was a, a big game bottler, and you know, you know that kind of thing that was said about Zlatan back in the day. And he would never come to England because England was incredible, and he'd never be able to handle it. Did okay, he did in the end, as it turns out. Um, but I think I think maybe we take for granted because of all the bluster that he creates around himself that he does have the stats to, to hold up. You know. He's done some things. He's done, he's some, done things. some things. Uh, yeah, including th- that goal for Sweden against England remains, I think, my favorite thing he's ever done. But that wasn't a farewell, so we don't need to talk about that. One game that was a farewell <laughs> would be the 2002 FA Cup final. That's where I'm going to take us next. You mentioned England. It's a man who played in England. It's Tony Adams. Tony Adams in his final game for Arsenal. Uh, it's the year that they do the double. He doesn't play in their final league game, I don't believe. He does captain the side in the FA Cup final, which they win 2-0. And I think my favorite thing about this, it's, you know, he goes out on top. That is, that is lovely. But you look at some of the photos of him celebrating with some of his very young Arsenal teammates and it Mm. absolutely looks like he is their like their inspirational teacher who also drank a bunch and slept on his face like he he definitely (laughs) I think retires at 35 but shows every year of that 35 in some of those photos yeah, very much of the Arsenal era of let's go to the pub every night rather than let's yeah. eat carrots because Arsene Wenger told us to. <laughs> exactly. But I think he maybe, I guess he misses the Invincible season, but it feels like a very good time for him to retire as it's still this like revolutionary Arsene Wenger and he goes out on top with the double. I can think of worse ways to retire. So I think uh, like bidding adieu to your fans, saying farewell at Wembley while ho- hoisting the cup as the captain is probably a pretty solid way to go out. 
I'm picturing in my head, I might have conflated this, but isn't there a really good Tony Adams goal? I want to say at Highbury where it sort of it won the league or something and he absolutely roasts it in the net from the left side of the field. Maybe I'm conf- I'm conflating that with someone else, but I feel like he's done some a couple of other significant goals as well. Oh yeah, I, I'd say so. I'd say so. Yeah. But uh, but yes, we ha- we have his farewell in the FA Cup. So I'm going to say that's a fairly memorable goodbye. Ryan, where shall we go next? Let's go to the world's most expensive player, shall we? Oh, that that makes sense. Neymar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he has had um, ups and downs in terms of the farewells. I'll go to the downs first. His last ever game in Brazil was uh, Santos against Flamengo. Um, poor little guy cried all the way through the national anthem. Um, and it turns out that was fairly illustrative of his performance in that game. It was a nil-nil game. He was booed all the way through by the Flamengo fans and sort of a, a, a relatively muted reception in that game. But, Taylor things were a little bit better in his last ever game for Barcelona, which was not at the new Camp, wasn't even in Spain. It was in Miami. It was I in am... the Hard Rock Dolphin Stadium or whatever it's called these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was in the International Champions Cup in July 2017. I watched this game, uh, fun fact. I believe I watched this game in Nashville because I think it was the same day that Tottenham played Man City in Nashville. Uh, and oh. I watched this in a bar with some very... Uh, loud country music happening in the background uh, but he was really good in that game that's that's the best way to watch Neymar I find by the way loud country music yeah. as the soundtrack um, he's got a really good free kick assist for uh, for Gerard Piquet where Gerard Piquet sort of volleyed in for a goal and he assisted Ivan Rakitic as well and if you watch the highlights of the game he was pretty effective in that game he was uh he was, yeah, I've got a big contract coming up maybe I should uh, lift myself up for this friendly game that's sort of the vibe I got from that performance uh, I remember this uh, Classico played in Miami as being the one where like it was like $7,000 a ticket. So I'm assuming that even <laughs> to watch the replay streams of it, you still have to pay. That's how expensive it was. It's also a strange thing that Neymar's sort of farewell to Barcelona is a Classico in Miami. That, again, sounds like a thing that is from some sort of future timeline in which La Liga is now played all around the world. But instead, it's just sort of the way it goes, that you play some preseason games as deals are getting discussed, and when they get finalized, you may have had preseason with Barca, but you're playing the regular season with PSG. Do you think that this... Like, how do you think he, he gets remembered if he never goes back to Barcelona? Do you think the memory of him changes into more negative than it sort of might be right now? Do you think he gets remembered more fondly because absence makes the heart grow fonder what, what, what how do you think it kind of progresses for Neymar in Barcelona could it be more negative than it is I don't right think now so. <laughs> I sounded very friends when I said that what's his name friends uh Chandler. could it be a ch- oh, very very Chandler should I be wearing any more clothes right now yeah I'm with you <laughs> yeah I don't, um, I don't think it I mean I guess maybe if he if he goes back there and I don't know wins them the Champions League over Real Madrid or something like that. Maybe that's yeah. the, uh, it's a good connective tissue, uh, a Classico bringing him back and making him uh, fondly remembered. I feel like when we look back, back at Neymar in 10 years or whenever he retires time, 20 years time, there's going to be a perception that he didn't quite reach the heights that he was expected to reach, right? Because he mm-hmm. still hasn't broken that Messi-Ronaldo hegemony. No. Uh, and he hasn't maybe took a, took a route away from doing so as well. And I think he'll maybe be remembered as sort of, not like the Joey Barton YouTube show pony, which is what he was accused of being in his early earlier years, but someone who didn't quite 
make the most of what he had, if that makes sense. It does, and I think that that is probably fair because you have his performances with Brazil, which is which are occasionally like next level and just sort of remind you of how good he is. But then he has the rolling on the floor, the kind of goes missing or misses games due to injury, and then you don't have that like next level performance from him that elevates, and so it does go to club level. And then I think when you go to PSG, you're going to win titles, you're going to be able to score lots of goals, but it does then come with that like yeah, but it was with PSG. Like it does, it doesn't matter yeah. as much as opposed to playing in Clasicos and having to deal with Diego Simeone's Atletico. No, I think it's that's a, a bit sterner of competition. So though he this... has had some success at PSG, certainly not to the level where he enters that conversation. Yeah, and I think there's maybe more questions about his professionalism and whether he's taken the easy mm-hmm. route in things. So you think of Ronaldo with his 3 a.m. ice baths and being yeah. sort of the very peak of professionalism in the way he's kept his body in in shape and continues to do so. And then you see. Neymar and the things he does is kind of you know the parties he goes to the sister's birthdays that he attends uh, once every month or so um, and, and it, it doesn't quite strike the same tone does it no the contract clauses that allow him to bring his entire entourage over with him that's in there that's in there too yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes so Neymar maybe not uh, as as fondly remembered by Barca fans a man who may not, not be as remembered by a lot of people is Lutz Fahnenstiel and that's who I would like to talk about next Lutz, uh, Lutz who, I, who I, we met uh, when he was the sporting director at Fortuna Dusseldorf when we were uh, visiting Germany was one of my favorite people we met on that tour he is very high energy uh he sat surrounded by journalists in a in a chair uh that's not the amazing thing but it was like not a rolly chair so whenever he would get a question from somebody sometimes he had people asking questions from behind or to the side and he would just kind of get up and lift the chair and rotate around and push like slam the chair back down and sit down and then like very intently like yeah what's next yeah 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 like it was this (laughs) he's this very intense guy but he's very interesting he's very eclectic and then you look at his career uh his the final game of his career uh came for ramblers are you familiar with ramblers because it's totally fine if you're not Football Ramblers? Uh, not the Football Ramblers. Ramblers of Namibia. Uh, he finishes his fi- the final game of his career in the 2011 season in the, I believe, Namibian Premier League. The reason why that is significant, it was the final game of his 20-year career that had 27 different clubs in it. He becomes the first, and I, still, I believe still only player, to have played uh, for all six FIFA confederations. Uh, he mm-hmm. played uh, for a club in all six FIFA confederations. So... Uh, Playing for Namibia did not cement that. He had already played in Africa, but still just sort of that, like, that. that's how he chose to round out his career. This is a guy who, I believe I'm correct in saying, was offered a deal to potentially replace Oliver Kahn as Bayern Munich's number one. He was that good, that young, but turned it down because, uh, I, according to him at least, wanted to kind of pursue options around the world with smaller clubs, and that's what he does. He has some time in Major League Soccer. He has some time with Wimbledon, I believe I heard you say uh, before we yeah, started so- recording. He played at Wimbledon in the mid in the mid nineties, which was probably our most interesting historical period. Uh, he's got a lot of stories, and he's told me some of them as well back uh, back in the day. And uh, I can imagine him thinking, "Yeah, I could I could go number one at Bayern Munich, but I need to go to Wimbledon and train in a public <laughs> field." But I mean, I guess, but that's why that's why I like him so much, and that's why I put him on this list is because. It's not as though that final game of his career is some remarkable feat where he wins the Champions League or wins the World Cup or anything like that. Um, I'm not even sure they won the Namibian Premier League. But it's just because it's so representative of the choices he made in his career and how many teams he played for, how many different experiences he had with soccer around the world. I'm assuming that will probably inform his future in football. Uh, But I, I just really appreciate that commitment to being a journeyman and so i'm gonna reward him with a journeyman inclusion on this list 
Very good. And by the way, he was on co-commentary on one of the games on Saturday. I think it was, a, uh, which one was it? Uh, Colm, I think. It was a Colm Mainz, yeah, yeah, on the weekend. Yeah, he was he was co-commentary on that. And uh, so it was very nice to hear his dulcet tones on that game as well. And as you say, a very interesting career that he has had. And nice to put a goalkeeper on this kind of list as well, because as we mentioned last week, these kind of lists are often judged by yep. goal scoring and goal assisting. So good performances and good careers recognised uh, for, for, for the less tangible um, ways of doing so all right and with that said let's get back to goal scorers i'm assuming ryan where are we heading next let's go i'm gonna take you on a roller coaster mm-hmm. with mr raul i see what you've done, I see what you've yeah. done. <laughs> thank you very much i'm here all week try the veal uh real madrid legend raul uh his last ever touch of the ball at real madrid was a goal um this was a goal in a two on away victory against real zaragoza i didn't uh, know this in- 24th of April 2010, which incidentally was the stadium where he made his debut in 1994. Isn't that interesting, ladies and gents? Um, now, it all comes full circle. Time is I've a flat circle. <laughs> Indeed. It's a construct. Um, I've seen this described in match reports that Raul was unfit and he had to come. Uh, he, was, um, he was a substitute, but he was, you know, not doing very well and he was hobbling around the field and sort of shuffled into the box and got on the end of a Cristiano Ronaldo pass and poked the ball in. That's kind of the story, but if you watch that and you watch the highlights, um, he's not exactly hobbling, like, he's, he's not about to keel over. When he scores a goal, he runs at breakneck speed to the corner flag to celebrate. He's still got some <laughs> legs in him to do that. Uh, so, credit to Raul for using up the last of his energy there. But it did, it did transpire that it was his last kick because he had to, you know, he, had to, he, wasn't, he couldn't physically continue after that. Um, and uh, he, it wasn't his last appearance for uh, in a Real Madrid capacity, because I think later that season he uh, he got his big farewell at the at the Bernabeu and mm-hmm. all the fireworks and whatnot. But yeah, that was it. That was his last game. Scott signed off with last touch being a goal. Isn't that fun? You're talking about from Madrid, though, right? This is before he yeah. goes to Hamburg and then has Correct. success there because he's Raúl and can do Raúl things. He can do Raúl things wherever Raúl wants to do Raúl things. But I'm talking mainly about I he's gotcha. one of those ones which you still consider a one club man. Yeah even if he wasn't, which is like another person on this list we're going to talk about later. That really should be a category of one club men who weren't. Uh, I also like <laughs> that he went full Bastian Schweinsteiger there and in the celebration like fatigued himself that much more, but but fully committed to the full sprint celebration. Uh, I do appreciate that from Raul. I also appreciate that he and Ruud van Nistelrooy have slowly become the same person in my head. That like I, I like I know they played for different clubs. I know they're very dissimilar, but yet I think when I try to picture them, they end up becoming kind of one face. I'm not sure how that happens. Well, that happens because facially they are quite okay. similar. Okay, all right. So I'm not losing I'll give my you mind. That. that makes me happy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if they were in an identity lineup, you, you you might have to think twice when you were picking between them. But certainly, I can see where you're going with that one. So th- <laughs> don't beat yourself up about that. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I will not. Uh, We've got more uh, best farewells still to come. But first, we should talk about today's sponsor, Roman. Uh, If you were to guess, listeners, I'm guessing you can guess at this point that on average, Americans have to wait up to 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Uh, You might guess that because you've heard us say that before. You might guess that because you have had that experience of having to wait basically a month to get medical care. And if you're dealing with a condition like, say, erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as quickly as possible. And that's where our friends at Roman have you covered. 
They certainly do. They've come in and they've spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, which is a bonus, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. No 29-day wait to see a doctor. This is on your schedule. This is your time. Take control of yourself, damn it. Use Roman. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. That's 28 days less. Than the average wait time, baby. <laughs> that's that's the the third in the twenty eight days uh, trilogy. Is twenty eight days less? I like <laughs> Correct. it. Correct. Killian Murphy was great in that one. <laughs> he was. He was. He always is. Uh, I do think that you should still sort of try to embrace the doctor's office uh, approach, where even when you're doing the the free online visit, uh, hearing back from the doctor, like you should still have old magazines around that you have to read while you're doing this in order to make you feel <laughs> like you're still at the doctor's office, even if you're not. Uh, but that is the key thing, basically. They ship it right to your door uh, if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you. So you basically don't have to commit. You don't have to go anywhere you can have it sent right to your door so if you're struggling with ed you can go to getroman.com slash tss for a free online visit and free two-day shipping of any products that's getroman.com slash tss for a free online visit and free two-day shipping thank you very much to roman for sponsoring this episode of the total soccer show in which we are discussing some of our favorite farewells Uh, i do have some goal scorers remaining on my list but i'm gonna go with a non-goal scorer uh, who still scored some goals in his in her career? Excuse me. It's Heather O'Reilly. I want to talk Heather O'Reilly for a moment. Uh, she has 231 appearances for the U.S. Women's National Team. She wins the 2015 uh, Women's World Cup. She does not go to the Rio Olympics. But as she's coming to the end of her career, she ends up with the North Carolina Courage uh, in her final season, announces in April that this will be her last uh, year as a pro. Mm-hmm. And basically, I think I sort of resigned to I'm going to be, be a bit part player for a North Carolina team that are absolutely stacked. Maybe I'll get some minutes here and there. I'm not going to be a key contributor, but I think she probably wants to go out as a champion. North Carolina seem very likely to repeat. And then she ends up becoming their starting right back. She announces she's retiring in April, becomes a starting right back, finishes out the season, goes through the playoffs, wins the title, I believe, 4-0 over the Chicago Red Stars. So she goes from, oh, I want to retire and maybe I'll get to play a part on this team that's probably going to win the championship to becoming a key performer for the team that does end up winning the championship so she gets to be on the field when the final whistle goes unless she was subbed off but i think she was still on so i think that's a from going from like maybe i'll get some minutes to becoming a key performer for a champion i think that's probably the way you want to end it if you're calling farewell to your career so credit to heather o'reilly for making that choice and retiring a champion she should have. That's what uh, Raoul should have done in Germany. Yeah, exactly. She, she took the path he should have taken. Very good. <laughs> we should all we should all follow uh, in Heather O'Reilly's footsteps. That's always a, it, a good way to be. In, in my head, whenever I hear Heather O'Reilly, I just think of the Who and Bubba O'Reilly. I'm sorry, <laughs> is that surname? I love it. It's, it's a great her uncle, song. I think. <laughs> Uh, so you mentioned uh, one club men who were not. I'm wondering which one you're referring to when I look at. We do have like a kind of abbreviated list in front of us. There are two oh. who could maybe be considered in that category, but I think I know which one you're going with. There are yes, I was going to pick Stevie G, but I see mm. there is another one on there. Um, Steven Gerrard, who had. The, mm-hmm. the best of times, the worst of times in his last game for yep. Liverpool, shall we say. Uh, he, he is being the other one club man I consider uh, for spending most of his career at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. His final game uh, was against Stoke on the final day. Of the <laughs> which, which season was this? This was 2014-15? 14-15. Yeah, so this was the season when 
things didn't go terribly well for Liverpool, mm. right? No. Uh, so uh, his final appearance in that season was against Stoke. I believe this was in Stoke. Uh, he scored in this he game. He did. But it was a 6-1 defeat. It was. So not the best finish for, for his Liverpool career. And by the way, that season, he mm-hmm. was top scorer for Liverpool with eight goals. Liverpool's top scorer that season had eight league goals. Liverpool finished sixth in that season. They lost five of their last nine games. So hey. I celebrated Liverpool career for Steven Gerrard, but uh, mixed feelings in that fine lever appearance, I would say. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's I did. I saw that one. I left it off my list for that reason. Of like, it felt like a like. Oh, he scored, but they got destroyed, and they didn't win the title. And then there's also like that immediately brings about memories of him not winning the title, which means the slip. And then you've got the galaxy in there. So I kind of had that as like best and worst last game. In that you want to score a goal, you probably don't want to score a goal in a six to one loss, and then refuse to sign the shirt of the team that you're going to go play for after that game is over. Yeah. Oh boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, <laughs> forgot about that bit. Um, yeah, I mean, if, it depends how narcissistic you are. Because if, you, this you, is true. You could, if some people could walk away from that saying, "Don't care, I scored." <laughs> that which which I don't know. I don't know which he is because I I think my bias of anti Liverpool probably makes me uh, more negative towards Stevie G, Stevie G than is probably fair. So he may well be a lovely individual, but I'm choosing to believe that he walked away from that thinking, "Well, I got mine," and that's what matters. There we go, there we go. Why don't we wrap up the one club men, and do you sure. want to head to the other one? Yeah, I'm assuming it's Pele? It is not. Oh, it's not? Who, who is it then? I was thinking more along the lines of Chavi. Oh, that would be one as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is, I guess you're right, because he is another one who is not actually one club man, because yeah. off he goes to the Middle East. But before he does that, he goes out as a treble winner. His final game for Barcelona being the 2015 Champions League final, he comes on as a second-half substitute. This is another instance of... Not that he comes on and scores the winner or anything like that, but just that he is able to play a role in his last game for Barcelona in the Champions League final, winning the treble uh, and and doing so in convincing fashion. I think a 3-1 win over Juve there. Uh, But for Xavi to sort of get to end on that level, to then move on and continue his playing career elsewhere, but certainly not to the level of, say, winning the Champions League with Barcelona, I think that felt like a very fitting send-off for a man of relative significance when it comes to Barcelona. I would say so, yeah. Very, very fitting send-off for a man who has had the same haircut since 2002, which really we all has. had in 2002 as well, which I he think is really very has. admirable as well. <laughs> he likes the and spikes. Uh, he likes the spikes. I didn't look up how he finished up uh, with Al Sad. He, he, he stopped playing, didn't he? So um, He did. I'm not sure if he scored in his last game for them. I'll have to look that up. I mean, I think he, he if he did, I don't know, again, if it's going to matter as much as playing those final minutes of the Champions League, but maybe it will to Al Saad, uh, and then maybe he'll get some more opportunities with Barcelona as a manager. But for now, so, I'm just choosing to remember that, that sign-off as being a good sort of cap on the career that started obviously much earlier, but then has that massive period of dominance both with Spain and with Barcelona. Uh, Xavi, a decent career overall. Definitely so. Yeah. So here's a question for you, Taylor. Let's say you're Chavi and you're in that final game. You're in the Champions League final. You've mm-hmm. completed the treble. You've won every trophy in soccer there is to win. Do you drop the mic at that point? Or do you think, oh, I'm going to go to Qatar and make a load of money from questionable sources? What do you think? What would you do? Um. So it's... Okay. My honest answer is I like to think that I would retire. But I think I would probably end up continuing to do different 
things. And I'm choosing, if I'm going from Xavi's perspective, to believe that that's like inspired by Pep to some extent, who goes and plays in the Middle East. He goes and plays in Mexico, and that's where he starts his kind of coaching career. He goes and plays for the people who he wants to sort of learn some things from before he moves into management. So yeah. maybe you could justify it that way. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go like have these different experiences and further my, my footballing education and also make millions of dollars. But that doesn't matter <laughs> because instead it's just about furthering my education. So maybe – I would kind of go that route, but I like to think that I would have the wherewithal to say, like, nope, I'm done. That's it. This is the way to go. This is the way to go out on top. That's a very fair answer to my very snarky question. So <laughs> thank you for I that. Try. Um, I try. I try. Let's move on to a player who you just uh, mentioned mm-hmm. there, who's not a one-club player, He's but not. he is a player who scored a million, billion, trillion goals. Pele! I think that's the actual number he would, like, uh, attributed to him. Yeah, he counts all the goals that he scored in training and in his dreams as well. Um, but he didn't need to count the goals in his dreams in his final game, bad seg, which was um, Cosmos, the New York Cosmos versus Santos in 1977. His final game was a testimony of sorts, like sort of a, a celebration of Pele. Uh, he played one half for each side. And if you watch back the highlights, there's this sort of awkward... Um, uh, sw- shirt switching ceremony that happens yeah. at half time and it's pouring down with rain there's loads of security guards oddly wearing sunglasses it's at night um and, uh, it's it's the 1970s new york uh yeah i feel like sunglasses were mandatory yeah so and he played he played one half for each side as i say uh it's it's a fairly slow place game from what i can tell from the highlights uh who's playing in i think carlos roberto's playing in this game as well and f- when he's playing in a cosmos shirt he scores Annoying as he score, but he takes a pretty good 30-yard free kick, sort of a low drive towards goal, which by modern defending standards might not necessarily have gone in. But let's say if it was taken against Werder Bremen, it I was going to make the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Oh, uh, good We dream stuff. the same dreams. We want the same things. <laughs> Me and you, that's right. Um, and a, a Brazilian newspaper said that yeah. um, even the sky was crying in uh, Pele's final game, which was a nice way of saying it was raining a lot. It was. <laughs> it was, and it was a nice way to phrase that. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's strange that, like for your last game to be um, playing one half for one team, one half for another. And it's not as though those teams are like very connected in any stretch of the imagination, but I guess when you're no. Pele, you can sort of do what you want. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was a uh, fill a stadium in New York and uh, make a bunch of money from your yeah. final testimonial game, which uh, is pretty on brand for Mr. Pele, I would uh, suggest. I think I've only got a couple more to As suggest on this list. Uh, and then I've also got a bonus list of worst oh boy. last games, which we could t- tap on uh, in, in a moment. But uh, why don't we go to Landy Cakes Donovan? Okay, I like that. Mm. Last game for uh, for Los Angeles was the 2014 MLS Cup, uh, in which his team beat the Revolution 2-1 in overtime. I love calling it overtime. Uh, that was the sixth title. Uh, I don't believe he scored or had a, uh, a, a super awesome contribution in this game, but this is kind of the, tra- uh, the Chavi-esque fitting end to the career game i would i uh, fitting end to the career yes which i would uh, uh, i would attribute here uh, galaxy coach bruce arena says uh, his quote at the time he ends his career as arguably the greatest player in the history of us soccer in the league he's the all-time leading goal scorer with assists and uh, with with and with the assist record and championships what more can you say can you write that any better that script question mark i don't know bruce Pretty good script to me. What do you think, Tay-Tay? <laughs> I think it's a, it's a solid script. I also think that is... The sentence you just said is one of the hardest to say or to write out. I think it's Chavi-esque with a hyphen. Then 
final end of career, all of that is hyphen game. One, two, three. You got four hyphens in there, my friend, in, in, yeah. in, a, in a basic phrase. That's impressive. And, That's impressive. No wonder I you. keep tripping over my words while I'm <laughs> trying to speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think for him to sort of go out the way he does as the champion with that Galaxy team, with the stars in there, with Bruce Arena being around, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's all around, like, you do sometimes have the moments of, like, oh, yeah, Xavi, like, going off to the Middle East. That's that's a strange little, like, note to his career. And even Pele with Santos, like, it's legendary and it's really well known, but it's certainly not he was going there for, like, the football com- competitor reasons. It was uh, commercial, for sure. Whereas Landon, like, say what you want about his career, but obviously a, a faithful servant to the, to the Galaxy, to the U.S. Mm-hmm. national team, that servant uh, service not always repaid, uh, say, in around 2014, but that he gets to go out as a champion uh, is a thing that I almost get the impression that he doesn't necessarily care about, but uh, I do because I want all the best things for Landon Donovan. Absolutely. And this was kind of a Paul Scholes return, wasn't yeah. it? This, mm-hmm. uh, this as well, which is nice, a nice touch as well. And then, of course, went on to uh, uh, not only uh, play some uh, uh, games in Mexico, but also make commercials for them wearing their shirts. Yeah, the less said about that, the better. I've got uh, three three more uh, quick ones for you, or at least two. The first one would be uh, Pipo Inzaghi. Mm. Uh, May 13th, 2012, he scores the winning goal in the final game of his uh, Milan career and his career in general uh, because his contract had not been renewed, which is kind of a crazy thing I didn't really know about. Basically, as they did with Andre Pirlo in 2011, Milan, uh, prior to the start of the season uh, of uh, Inzaghi's final season, essentially announced that they're not going to renew Inzaghi, Gattuso, Seydorf, Nesta, Zambrotta. Uh, so they're sort of very clearly moving on, uh, kind of clearing it out, getting rid of that sort of legendary Golden Generation squad. Mm. But I do love that Inzaghi uh, has several offside calls in this game, as you would expect. He has several <laughs> sort of clear-cut chances that he's not able to finish or can't take cleanly and then the winning goal, the goal that he does score, is a sort of lifted ball over the back line by, I think, Seedorf that he, while running like to the diag- diagonally like away from goal towards the corner flag, chests into his path and then hits a volley into the near post, into like the sort of top corner near post, runs off to celebrate with the fans, but it felt very representative of Inzaghi of like misses some chances, but then scores this ridiculous goal by being just onside. Uh, a very a very good goal to end it, uh, and you gotta love Inzaghi celebrating with the Milan fans because he was definitely beloved, maybe less so after his uh, unsuccessful stint as a manager of Milan, but in that moment, I think quite popular. Well, yeah, and it's interesting about the contract situation as well because obviously, evidently, there was no hard feelings because mm-hmm. he went on, as you say, to coach through the ranks at Milan and eventually get to uh, that gl- glorious uh, season as the main manager as well. So it- interesting that he wasn't put off and went to Qatar instead or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so credit to Inzaghi for that one. I would say yeah. credit to, uh, to Zinedine Zidane. I think you might have heard of him. I'm going to guess he might be brought up in a little bit, but Zidane in his final game from Real Madrid uh, scores a goal in a 3-3 draw, I think with Villarreal it was, uh, but that's the one that uh, inspires, or I, I guess like was already in the works, the documentary that's just filming him the entire game, but you get to see him score that goal uh, and be very influential throughout, so I, I appreciate that that final performance for Madrid, not just because he scores the goal, but because it kind of leads to that documentary, which if people haven't seen, now's the time. Find it, watch it, it's, it's very relaxing and and uh, melodic and, and lulls you into sort of 
uh, paying attention, but not necessarily like critical thinking, which is a good way to relax, I think. So, uh, wow, for- you've really painted with words how boring that film was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is a sort of thing where like. Uh, I, one listener caught this reference previously, but like, have yourself a tall glass of water, uh, which, you know, uh, you, you can figure out what that means if you want to, and then watch that one, and it's definitely a good one to kind of zone out and, and enjoy that way. Uh, a man who never really zoned out uh, is my final one I wanted to mention. It's Johan Cruyff, uh, and it's Ooh. the way he chooses to... Uh, see out his career overall that I find very fitting. Do you know what I'm talking about? Go on. He uh, has the success when he goes back to Ajax. At the end of that season, they decide they're not going to renew his contract. I think he's 36 at the time. They decide, like, no, that, you know, that's it. Uh, similar to Inzaghi, we're, you know, moving on. We're moving in a different direction. Unlike Inzaghi, he does take offense to that because he's Johan yes. Cruyff. How dare you tell him <laughs> that he's not the most important player? It's why he left in the first place when they didn't make him captain. This oh. time he leaves... And he Such goes to Feyenoord, yeah. <laughs> where he wins the league and is voted Dutch Player of the Year, and I believe plays all but one game in that season, scores tons of goals, wins the title for Feyenoord, or helps win the title for Feyenoord. Uh, Ruud Hullet plays a role there, too, but uh, Johan Cruyff will definitely uh, downplay that and play up himself. Uh, but that they win the fir- title for the first time in 10 years, he goes out a champion, but really, really very much on his own terms in terms of, no, not only am I not letting you dictate when I'm done, Ajax, but I'm going to punish you for your lack of faith once again uh, by taking my talents elsewhere and winning silverware when I'm there. Yeah, that's fantastic. I remember writing a script for, for Kick TV about this. And really? How, how it was the ultimate sort of middle finger flip to, to uh, the team that sort of helped him raise the prominence. And also, uh, in the notes here, I'm seeing that he actually scored in his last go- a game as well. He did, uh, yeah. He was in Saudi Arabia against Al-Ali and uh, uh, a goal and an assist in that one. Very good. So good. So good. Yeah, I think that was the like the the end where they were maybe making some money in that one. But I think he also scores in the final day of the Eredivisie season as well, though I think they had the title locked up. But either way, uh, Johan Cruyff, really great when he feels like he has been disrespected. <laughs> he was a man you did not mess with, that's for sure. Nah. Nah. Definitely so. Wonderful stuff. All right, I think that's all for my best last mm-hmm. games ever. Got a couple of honourable mentions for worst last games ever. Which Let's I'd hear like it. to run through if that's okay. One of them is a man you've already mentioned, Zinedine Zidane. You might remember his last game in the 2006 World Cup final. Some stuff happened, do you remember? I, I mean, I know they didn't win, but I, I know he was, he was definitely on the field the whole time, right? Um, up to a point. I would say. <laughs> and then there was an incident in Man. which uh, he, he forcibly put his head into the chest of a rival mm-hmm. player. And is this the most famous sending off of all time, would you say? Yeah, I think so. Because there, be there have been other moments. like but Even like when Cantona goes into the stands, I think he's already been sent off. So even there, yeah. it's not like the incident leads to the sending off. Yeah, it's the most famous one. Yeah, and just what, what an incredible way to go. Very Zidane-esque, I'd say, as well, wouldn't you say? I mean, j- just that he is majestic when he does it, and his form is perfect when he connects with Matarazzi's chest. Yeah, even the headbutt was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, Matarazzi, and there's also the claims that there was some verbal going on between the two players. But on that stage, when your team is in a World Cup final, to lose it like that is just wow. It really, it also for me is is a a person who tends to maybe go a little bit too much down the conspiracy rabbit hole. This is a good reminder that oftentimes the most boring mundane answer 
is oftentimes the correct answer. And here I remember this being like, what must Matarazzi have said? Was it a racial slur? Was it something about Algeria? Was it something about his mother or his sister or his family? And like, it's, or like, and I think in the end, like maybe he called him a frog or something. Like it, it's, it's been disputed. They've said different things. But in the moment, you thought it must have been this like horrific thing that must have pro- provoked this this red mist. And in actuality, I think it's just sort of kind of representative of Zinedine Zidane. Worth remembering, he's one of only a couple players to be red carded in two different World Cups. And yeah. he does have that level of intensity and those moments of madness. And I think it's just it's it's kind of a strange way to cap his career it's certainly not what i would have expected to be the case but maybe it is fitting given he did have those sort of moments of inexplicable rage that he has one uh, when he really needed to not have one it is understandable when you actually realize what matarazzi actually told him though what was that i don't know if you i don't know if you know but like he leaned in really close during the game and said Paul Scholes has better distribution. That, that'll do it. That'll do it right there. Those are fighting words. Those are Red definitely mist. fighting words. Red mist descended. <laughs> <laughs> but also he did. Uh, okay, so that's one uh, That's one of the worst uh, farewells. Uh, you've got two more, Ryan. Uh, l- let's have them. They both involve Dutchmen. They do indeed. Edgar Davies is your first one, who you'll remember went for a, a bizarre stint at Barnet in the lower leagues of England for uh, to see things out. And his last game was in 2013. Uh, and his last game and his last moment for Barnet was a red card, uh, which he got at Salisbury City. And you can see the footage of this on YouTube. And it's a sort of a very... For, for the heights that Edgar Davids reached in his career, for this to be his final moment, having maybe three or four hundred fans sort of booing him and shouting, uh, there's some some fans that you can hear saying, "Oh, how the mighty have fallen!" as he yeah. comes off the pitch. Wow, that that's that's some come down from his career, I would suggest to uh, to to have the final moment being sent off in a lower league game in England in Salisbury. Yeah, see that that's the risk you run when you do make that Xavi decision or the Guardiola decision or Raúl to like I'm just going to keep it going a little bit. Except with those gentlemen, it was for paydays or for Raúl. Let's go to the Bundesliga. Yeah, when you're ending up in Barnet, you do probably have to take a moment to look around and think. Like unless you're Lutz van Steel and you've decided to make that your sort of career <laughs> narrative, I think you're probably looking around and thinking, yeah, this isn't the way I saw this one going. <laughs> but uh, for Edgar Davids, a man whom I, I love so, so much, and I think the primary reason for that is uh, Nike advertisements, but I'm fine with that. Uh, I, I yeah. will never say a negative word about him because even if he gets a red card against Barnett, uh, he's still terrific and killed uh, robot ninjas in a Nike advertisement. <laughs> and it reminds you of that bizarre sort of end to his career. He also went to Crystal Palace, do you remember? I do. And he had sort of like a pay-as-you-play deal as well, where I imagine he got like someone cut him a check yeah. at the end of every game, which, yeah. uh, which is quite bizarre. And he also managed Barnett for a little bit as well. Obviously, trying about to that. Carve out, he tried to carve out a management deal, which didn't go any further. Further nah. than Barnet. Yeah. So, uh, my advice to, to, to a player is this. If you're going to get a red card in your final game, do it in a World Cup final, not in a lower league match in Salisbury. <laughs> that, 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 that is good advice. That is good advice. Uh, your final player uh, who was sent off in his final game, not in a World Cup game, but in a league no. game. Let's talk Mark Van Bommel, shall we? Mark Van Bommel, a man who's partial to a, to a card or two, what should we say, uh, in, in his career. Uh, he was PSV captain. In his final game against SV Twente on the 12th of May 2013, he got two second half bookings, hit the showers a little early, didn't he? He Uh, did. I love this one so much, though. 
This is great because not not only does he, did he have sort of that uh, underwhelming end to his career, but PSV also finished second in the Eredivisie uh, that season, and they also lost the uh, Dutch Cup final to AZ Alkmaar as well. So it was kind of a very underwhelming finish for Van Bommel on all fronts. But but I felt like fairly serendipitous in that Mark Van Bommel is a player who we all kind of remember as being very aggressive, very physical, will dive into challenges, will maybe break your leg if he has to. And yet, I think I'm correct in saying that, like, never really got booked that much or, like, was only sent off maybe twice in his career. I think this really? was, like, the second time. Like, yeah, he's he's one of those players who you assume that if you looked it up, you'd be like, oh, he was sent off, like, four times a season. And in actuality, he was always, I think, really good about knowing the line and mm. I think would get the bookings. Even then, I think he didn't get as many yellows as you'd expect, but was able to sort of tow it and almost... <laughs> A man we keep referencing, the Paul Scholes thing of, like, somehow it was a joke that he, quote-unquote, didn't know how to tackle, when in actuality it was like, no, he just used that as an excuse to ruin people. Like, it was a little bit of that with Mark Van Bommel. So I love that at the end of it, he does get the red card, he does lose control, picks up that second yellow, a thing that he was very good at not doing, he finally uh, fails at when it comes to his last game. And maybe that was it. Maybe he was like, well, I've lost the touch now. It's it's a live-die-repeat thing. Once once you get the red card, they're going to start coming. He knows that, so uh, that's when he calls it quits. Yeah, and it's interesting. You picture, I imagine when he pictured in his mind that return to PSV where he had so much glory back in the day. Yeah, I'm going to see it out and it's going to be wonderful. I'm going to win a trophy. We're going we're gonna to win the double in this, in this last season. I'm going to play for them. Oh, nope. Red card and second place in both competitions. Bye. <laughs> Bye, indeed. And on that note, uh, that feels like a, a, a good note to end on, Ryan. Uh, we, we've said bye that way. Uh, any other players you'd like to discuss before we say goodbye to this episode? I think we should say goodbye to this episode and cap right. it off there. And we, we'll have a nice final moment of this podcast. <laughs> Um, the the question that I think everybody wants to know that's been on our minds this whole time, has the chipmunk reappeared in the course of recording? So I've been listening out. I haven't heard any rustling, but I think maybe he's just really found a really good wire that he's chewing through at the moment and taking his time with it, maybe. That's, 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 always, that's always a fun uh, moment to ponder is like, what is that uh, <laughs> rodent doing to destroy my home? That's always a good time. I remember in our old, in our old apartment, if this helps you, I, I remember occasionally hearing these like little noises and thinking like, I, that sounds like movement, but I don't hear anything. And we have neighbors upstairs. We've got the dog. I don't know. And then one day, like we had a, like our dining room and kitchen were sort of the same space. And I was sitting like at our dining room table working and I looked up and there was just a rat eating dog food out of our dog's bowl. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so that was you. And that was the, uh, that was the end of that apartment. <laughs> um, oh uh, or I think that was, we were like debating whether or not we wanted to renew. And that was maybe the, uh, the nail on the coffin on that one was the giant rat just casually like, what's up? This is my house too, man. Uh, so at least you don't have that, is I guess what I'm saying. Well, to answer your initial question, no, no that doesn't help me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> are you worried that he's going to have like a, a house party and he's going to invite I, the rats? I think I've just, <laughs> maybe so, but I think I've just figured something out. On my run this morning, I saw a very big copperhead snake. They're the mm-hmm. bad news snakes. They are. Uh, down d- about half a mile from my house. And uh, I think the animals are taking over. They're taking their chance, aren't they? They, they are. They're reclaiming uh, the earth. With that in mind, we've moved Full Nature uh, podcast at this point. With that in mind, it is the weather's getting nicer. Maybe one day we'll be allowed outside. I was doing some yard work this weekend. I brushed up on my venomous snakes. If you see a small snake and it has a bright yellow tail and you happen to be on the 
eastern side of the United States, then that is poisonous. Stay away from that snake. Uh, baby snakes, baby venomous snakes on the eastern co- uh, eastern seaboard, I learned, have a little yellow tail to lure in prey because they can't hunt themselves. Uh, and they also can't control their venom. So but for those two reasons, if you see a yellow-tailed snake, run away. That's my uh, pro-life advice for you, Ryan Bailey. Ah, the more you know. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Uh, And I think that that definitely means that we have come to the end of this show. So, uh, (laughs) Ryan Bailey, thank you very much for taking the time to chat about snakes, chipmunks, the Bundesliga, and the best and worst farewells in soccer history. Oh, Taylor, it's always a pleasure. Never a chore. 